Okay, we're doing now Sunday for this week, which is a combined portion of Tazria and Mitzayra. So the first topic, the bulk of Tazria deals with Tzara'ah, with the spiritual skin affliction. But the opening section is actually about a woman after childbirth. So God spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, when a woman conceives and gives birth to a male, she shall be impure for a seven-day period, as during the days of her menstrual infirmity shall she be impure. So the first Rashi explains that this is a quote from uh, Amaira, from a commentator on the, in the Talmud, the voice of the Talmud, Rav Simlai, that just as man was created after all the animals, so too, here, when we're speaking of the laws of impurity, the laws of impurity of man is after all the laws of impurity having to do with all the animals. Now, the verse says, Ki sazria fiyoda zachar. Sazria, which we're translating as conceived, which comes from the root word zera, semen. The question is, why does the Torah use this word? The point is, a person gives birth to the child. We don't have to say she conceives that. You know, that's an obvious fact and not relevant to the situation. But the relevancy is that Sazria comes from that root word zera, semen, to say that if God forbid a person became pregnant but there was a miscarriage, so when the child came out, when the fetus came out, it lost its human form. It was just like zera, just like semen. Still, the mother has this impurity of childbirth. So just as the days of her menstrual infirmity, so she's impure. So what we're saying here is, really, you could say, obviously, we know a woman always becomes impure when she sees blood, menstrual blood. So why do we have to say, here's this whole new innovative idea that she becomes impure when she has a child? Obviously, there's tremendous blood that's falling at that point. But in case, there will be a woman who gives birth without any blood. She's just as impure as if she saw blood. Um, now it says her menstrual infirmity. That's how we're translating her, like sickness. And Rashi explains there's really two ways to explain this word. First, of us from the word dava, something which flows, like the blood is flowing from her, or it's from the word sickness. Dava sickness. Because if the woman is seeing blood, she becomes very weak and feels ill. So, the verse said she's impure for seven days after she gave birth to this male child. The verse continues on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin should be circumcised. And for 33 days, meaning 33 days after those seven days period, she shall stay in the blood of purity. She may not touch anything sacred. She may not enter the sanctuary until the completion of her days of purity. Meaning she should stay. It doesn't mean literally that she's sitting somewhere. It means like she's in a certain situation. She's staying in that situation, the blood of purity. Which is a very interesting phrase, the blood of purity, because we usually think of blood as making her impure. But here, Rashi says, even if she sees blood during these 33 days, she's still pure. 
Now, in this verse, we have the word purity twice. In the blood of her purity, which is in the middle of the verse, and the days of her purity at the end of the verse. The same word, tahara, tahara. If you look, there's a difference that the second time, the days of her purity, there's what we call a mapik, which is a dot in the final hay. In the first time, tahara, purity, there's no mapik, there's no dot in the hay. Which means that the first time, it's not the blood of her purity, it's the blood of purity. But the second time, when it's talking about the days of her purity, it's the, the dot in the hay makes it her purity. So again, to understand what's happening here, she gave birth to a baby boy. For seven days, she's impure. And then she immerses herself in a mikvah, in a ritual cleansing pool. And then for 33 days, she is not impure, but she still has a status of not being able to touch anything sacred or enter the sanctuary for another 33 days, which would mean for, ultimately it's for a total of 40 days. So it says she can't touch anything sacred. Rashi says this means the truma. As if there's a very extended day from when she immersed herself at the end of seven days until she, so to speak, completes this period of quasi-purity, quasi-impurity when the sun sets on the 40th day because the morning after that 40th day is when she offers the offering the sacrifices to atone for her purification. So to explain what we're talking about here, this is a little bit complex. Certain types of impurity require immersion in a mikvah on the last day of impurity as the step of the purification procedure. So if you had that immersion in the mikvah, like she had on her seventh day, then you're considered, he would call it tivul yom, someone who immersed that day until sunset. So on one hand, you partially purified yourself because you immersed in the mikvah, but on the other hand, you have to wait till sunset for a complete purification. So during that period between the mikvah and sunset, he could transmit impurity to something which is holy, like truma. After sunset, you can eat the truma. Now, depending on why you're impure, for some lesser types of impurity, at this point you're done. You're immersed in the mikvah, the sun set, you're fine, you can eat all sacrifices. For more severe impurities, you're not done. You have to wait until the following day when you're going to offer your sacrifices. So during this time between sunset and the following day when you offer sacrifices, you are mostly pure, pure enough not to eat the sacrifices, but to eat truma, which is a lesser degree of holiness. But you can't eat sacrifices yet until after you offer your sacrificial offerings the next morning. So in our verse here, it could have said she can't touch anything sacred, which would mean she can't eat any of the offerings. But it didn't say that. It added a more inclusive word. It says she may not touch anything sacred. It added the word behol, all, which implies not only can she not eat any sacrificial offerings, but she can't even eat truma, which has a lesser degree of holiness. Truma is those parts of the farmer's produce that were set aside and given to the priest. 
So that's not as holy as an offering. It has some holiness. You have to eat in a state of purity, but not as holy as an offering. So we would normally think, because she already immersed in a mikvah on day seven, and the sunset of day seven, now she has to wait 33 days before she can eat a sacrifice, because only the morning after the 40th day is she offering her own sacrifices of atonement. But she could definitely eat truma, which is a much lesser degree of holiness, as generally a person at this point would be allowed to. But since it says she can't eat from all that is, she can't touch, sorry, from anything which is sacred, it means even truma she can't eat at this time. The question is, why not? She already immersed herself on the seventh day. So seemingly... She should be like everyone else is. She immersed, and the sun set on the seventh, seventh day, and now she has 33 more days. Why can't she eat shuruma? So This is what Rashi is trying to explain to us, that she's considered immersed of an extended day, meaning the idea of the sun setting, we normally think of as you immerse in the mikvah, the sun set, and that gave you permission to eat of the shuruma, even though you didn't get off your sacrifices. Rashi is saying, not really. It's not the sun setting following your immersion that's the issue. It's the sun setting on the night before you offer your sacrifices. So for most people, that's a mute point because you immerse in the mikvah, the sun sets, and the next morning you offer the sacrifices. But in this case, it's very unusual. She immersed in the mikvah on the seventh day. The sun obviously set on the seventh day. 33 days later, we complete the 40 days of her count, and the next morning she offers the sacrifices. So here, even though the sun set after she went to Mikvah on day seven, that's not the sun setting where you're counting. The sun setting that's significant is on the 40th day, the night before she's offering her sacrifices. So it says she can't touch all that is holy. So Rashi explains this is a prohibition actually not about touching, but about eating. Even though the verse clearly says touching, we actually had this in our previous portion of Shemini, this exact same concept. Even though the verse says touching, it doesn't mean touch, it means eating. How do we know that? Because our verse is juxtaposing touching, she can't touch, with entering the sanctuary. She can't enter the sanctuary when she's impure, she can't touch anything holy when she's impure. Now, entering the sanctuary, if someone had entered the sanctuary when impure, it's a tremendous sin, which will, which will be punishable by a loss of life. So if the two are being equated, she can't touch anything holy and she can't enter the sanctuary. If we know that for entering the sanctuary, someone would get such a grave punishment as loss of life, the touching also has to give such a severe penalty. Now, touching something holy when you're unholy doesn't have that severe penalty. So it can't mean touching as we normally think of it. It has to mean touching that would lead to a sin which will cause a loss of life. Eating offerings while impure is punishable by curse, by premature death and childlessness. Eating truma is punishable by premature death by the hands of heaven. Touching either the offering or the truma while impure does not cause a loss of life. So obviously, therefore, the touching in this verse doesn't mean touching, but it means touching to eat, which will cause, God forbid, that loss of life. And neither of these things can she do. She's not allowed to eat anything holy, an offering, or even truma. And she can't enter the sanctuary until after she offers the sacrifices on the morning after her 40th day from childbirth. If she gives birth to a female, she shall be impure for two weeks, as during her menstruation period, and for 66 days she shall stay in blood of purity. So for a boy, 
she offered, she, sorry, she went to mikvah, she immersed herself on the seventh day, and after 40 days, she offered the sacrifices. For a girl, she's impure for two weeks. She immerses herself in the ritual bath, the mikvah, after four, on the 14th day. And for 66 days, she continues with this impurity. Again, she's partially pure, but still cannot eat any of the sacrifices, any truma, or into the sanctuary until she offers the sacrifices after double, after 80 days. So for a boy, it was 7 and 33, a total of 40 days. For a girl, it's 14 and 66 for a total of 80 days. Upon the completion of the days of her purity for a son or for a daughter, meaning the offerings are the same, he shall bring a sheep within his first year for an Ola offering. The Ola was completely burnt up to God. And a young dove or a turtle dove for a sin offering to the entrance of the tent of meeting to the priest. He shall offer before God and atone for her. She shall become purified from the source of her blood. This is the law of one who gives birth to a male or to a female. Now we have a question here. It says he shall offer it. Now we just learned in the previous verse that there are two sacrifices she's bringing. She's bringing in sheep as an ayla, as a burnt offering, and a bird as a sin offering. Offer it is singular. So which one are we talking about? So Rashi says the reason why it's singular is to teach you that it's really one of them that's preventing her from eating anything holy. And when that one is offered, she can now has permission to eat the truma and the sacrificial offerings. So which one is it? Is it the animal that's uh, completely burnt up? Or is it the bird of sin offering? So it's the bird of sin offering for a very simple reason. Because a sin offering is something that brings atonement. As the verse says, the priest shall atone for her and she shall become purified. So, obviously, the sacrifice which comes to atone upon it, the purity, depends. So once he offers the bird for the sin offering, she's atoned. Even though, of course, she's offering this other offering, which is much more expensive, the sheep for completely burnt up to God, but that's not what contingent her atonement and therefore not her purification. And she shall become purified, which implies, of course, that until that time she's called impure. But if she cannot afford a sheep, then she shall take two turtle doves or two young doves, one for the Ola offering, which is completely burnt, and one for a skin offering, and the priest shall atone for her, and she shall become purified. So it's interesting, Rashi points out that the way the verse is written, we first speak of the Ola offering, the offering which is completely burnt up as like a gift to God, and after that, the sin offering. In terms of practically, what happened was first the sin offering was offered and then the Ola offering. As we've learned in other places, that the sin offering is to atone. The animal that's the Ola that's completely burnt up to God is to like restore goodwill. So first you have to take care of the negativity, that's the sin offering, and only then could you offer the ayla. But since it's written in this way, the priest, before the priest would offer the offering, they would read the verses from the Torah that deals with the offering. So in this case, according to Rashi, they would read the section of the ayla offering before the section of the sin offering, even though they would then offer the sin offering and only afterwards offer the ayla offering. 